Very cool. And it's, and it's morphed into something that I didn't really expect, which is something that happens to entrepreneurs when you yes. start a business. You never know what direction your business is going to go in, really. Number 114, here we go. What's going on? This is Katie Kermitzos. I'm your host of Biz Women Rock. This is the place where you will hear really inspirational and really honest stories from business women who have great journeys to share so that your business can truly be touched by it. I've got a great story to share with you today, but before we begin, it is time for our Biz Women Wednesday series. Every single Wednesday before our main interview, we take a second to shine the light on an amazing woman who's a part of the Biz Women Rock community. Today, that light goes on Jen Pulley, who's the founder of Hattitude. It's a fashion company that she created because she loved to knit and wanted to learn how to hand knit really beautiful little beanies that you see on adults and babies. And uh, two years later, her business has exploded in every single knit piece that she makes is completely custom made. So Jen, big congratulations to you, girl. If you would like to find out more about Jen or how you can be featured in our Biz Women Wednesday series, just go to bizwomenrock.com. My guest today is Julie Austin, and she has a couple of titles. She's an inventor. Um, She's actually the woman who came up with the invention Swiggies, which is like a water bottle that goes on your wrist, like it looks like a wristband. So when you run, you could actually, you know, stay hydrated. Um, And she is a speaker, a professional speaker who speaks for some major corporations like Procter & Gamble. And she's an author. This is a very interesting conversation about her history as an inventor and why she was really a reluctant businesswoman, um, but ended up doing it and doing it very well. What happened during the recession to completely shift her focus in what she was doing in business and a pretty cool platform she's built to marry speakers with people who want to pay for speakers. If you're a businesswoman who has a lot of different interests and you want to see how someone with a lot of interests is actually successful at doing all of them, this is the interview to listen to. Let's go. Julie, what's going on, girl? Thanks so much for being on the show. You have so much energy. I love it. It's (laughs) contagious. (laughs) Yes, 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 a little bit. You know, the funny thing is, is that um, in the very, very beginning of me starting this podcast, I would be in here at like three in the morning because that that was back in the days when I still didn't have like my processes down quite yet. And I would be doing my intros, you know, it would be a pre-recorded show. And then I would do my intros and I would, it's three in the morning. I'm exhausted and I'd have to be like, hey, thanks so much for coming on the show. This is going to be a great show, blah, blah, blah. And it's hilarious. I really wish I had like the snapshot of that back then. (laughs) As you're downing the coffee. Right. Uh, Well, I am super excited that you're on the show today. Um, A wealth of information is about to be unleashed on the show. I'm really excited about it. Um, You know, as a runner, um, I immediately recognized your product when I first saw it. And um, and I I didn't know that that was you. I mean, I actually first came across you as a speaker and as a as an author. And, um, and it's all really tied into this entire entrepreneurial experience, um, you know, as an inventor as well. So I guess what I, what I really want to start with is a little bit about your experience maybe before business and kind of who you were 
um, before you really started being a businesswoman? Um, well, I actually started out as an actor. <laughs> I hate to admit that, but, um, <laughs> you know, it really prepared me for absolutely nothing in business. <laughs> Except, you know, it did prepare me to be a speaker, so that I could, you know, thank it for. But, um, yeah, that's that's what I was doing, and I really was not entrepreneurial. I mean, I grew up being entrepreneurial, and then somewhere along the way, I lost it and just became an employee and, you know, that was about it. And then um, I really did not want to be a business owner. Uh, Why not? What hap- um, because I wanted to invent a product <laughs> and license it and, you know, make lots of money and sit on the beach somewhere. This is <laughs> what I thought. That's not, that's you know, completely unrealistic. But- I think a lot of, I think a lot <laughs> of like entrepreneurial people, like especially in the beginning stages or a lot of like inventors think like, okay, I'll just invent this product. I'll do this one service and then <laughs> boom. And then I'm sitting with my pina coladas on the beach. How great is that? Of course. And then you think, oh, Walmart is going to buy it and um, I'll make millions. No, they're not. Wow. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So, I mean, they might, but I mean, it, it's it's a process, you yeah. know. And if you ever watch Shark Tank, I mean, if you invent a product or you have a business, you're innovative. You've got to watch Shark Tank because that is the best education you could ever get on being an entrepreneur. So, what was it? If you were so adamant about not being an entrepreneur, like what was it that actually made you make the switch? Well, um, I was doing a deal with a. It was like a sporting goods company to sell Swiggies, the wrist water bottle, and I was just going to get a royalty. And this went around back and forth from my attorney to their attorney to someone else's attorney for months and months. And then finally we said, okay, we're all ready. And then right as that happened, the company went bankrupt. Oh, wow. <laughs> but Come you know on. What I guess? Yeah, but you know what? I guess it was really a good thing that it happened the way it did because if we'd gotten into it and then they went bankrupt, I don't know what would have happened. That's very true. Well, explain, um, if someone doesn't know, what is Swiggies? Swiggies are wrist water bottles, and it's a little hard to um, describe them without seeing a picture, but it's a bottle that's contoured and sits on top of the wrist and has a bell stretch band and a pull top. So it's for runners, for, you know, I've seen rock climbers using them, uh, hikers, kids. They're awesome. I mean, if you're, if you're a runner at all, you've definitely seen people with these on and it's, um, you know, it's such a great idea. So, so you had invented this product. You thought it was really great. Like, and then you were kind of trying to do that, you know, far off perfect inventor plan and sell it to the one (laughs) massive, you know, company and then they went under. So, so what did you do from there? And and this is, uh, you know, not an unusual entrepreneur story. If you've probably interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs, it's up and down and sideways, and you never know what's going to happen. But um, so then I just realized, well, almost a year has gone by, and, you know, I had started getting a, a buzz of, you know, PR, a lot of PR that was coming out. And I said, well, i got to do something. I can't just sit on it. So I said, I guess I'm going to have to do it myself and learn how to be a manufacturer and learn how to distribute a product and, uh, you know, all of the things that I knew nothing about. 
So what, have, what were some of those like harsh, I guess, lessons that you learned along the way? Because that's a lot of stuff. Like every inventor that I've had on the show explains like, okay, you know, however many manufacturer horror stories that they've had and, you know, <laughs> getting the right, you know, exact right product of plastic and level of plastic yeah. in order to make it affordable for everyone. So, you know, what major hiccups did you have or, or kind of moments that you had that were really challenging there? Well, I guess I was really lucky in a way that I went to a trade show. It was for sporting goods. And I thought, well, it's a sporting goods product. And nobody in the sporting goods industry was even remotely interested. Really? Had, I was, um, my booth was next to the people who had the Heelys, you know, the little wheels on the shoes. Oh, you yeah. Those, right? Yeah. And we were, we were standing in the aisle going, hey, look at us, look at us, and, and nothing And I realized, well, I kept trying to go into a market that wasn't interested. And um, I I did manufacture the product. I got it done in Malaysia, of all places. Um, And luckily, I found someone honest, and I turned over all my money that I'd saved up for working three jobs. And I said, okay. And I bought a ton of of inventory wow. and had no idea how I was going to sell it. So this is uh, tip number one. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Learn from my mistakes. That's really what this show oh, is all about. Yeah. Like show us all the nasty stuff that happens. So, you know, we can all, you know, not have to go through that learning curve, but, <laughs> exactly. but it helped shape you. So how did you end up actually selling it? Like, what did you do that actually kicked stuff off? Cause you, you had a successful and have had a successful business. Um, so what have you done, especially in the beginning, but even more so now, like, tell us a little bit about a few of those phases of how you got your product out there. Well, um, I started out with the sporting goods industry, and I just, like I said, I kept trying to push a square peg into a round hole, and they just weren't interested. And then <laughs> I got to tell you a funny story of what turned it around, because I kept trying to do that, and nothing was happening. Um, I went to a, a trade show. Uh, I think it was called Sports, retail, action, something, whatever. I thought, okay, it's a sporting good, it's action, it's retail. Yay! And I get a booth at this show. And it turns out that the booth was almost in the parking lot next to a a skateboard ramp. They were playing, you know, loud headbanger music. And it was so, it was a nightmare. It was just a nightmare. I didn't realize it was for skateboards and surfboard crowd, <laughs> you know? That's great. And they were not even, it was even worse than <laughs> the first one. And, but here's what happened with it. I'm, I said, oh, screw it. I'm just not going to even deal with this. I'm closing my booth. I'm just going to walk the show. And I ended up walking past this guy who had a hands-free sunscreen. You probably never heard of that product. He no. sold millions of these things. Really? Yep. Ne- probably never heard of it. And he was just kind of joking around. He said, I'm thinking about just closing up my booth because this is not the place for me. And so we both did and we're walking around and he said, you know what? You need to sell that product in the promotional products market. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, girlfriend. Oh, honey, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to talk. So he kind of became a mentor, and and, and he said, I have, I'm going to be, I have a booth at um, the Vegas show coming up. 
I tell you what, you come out there, I'll give you a little corner of my booth, and you can test it and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And the promotional products is the corporate logoed stuff, like hats and mugs and pens and t-shirts. Huge industry. Huge industry. Huge. I walked into the show with the swiggies on and was drinking out of them, and I didn't even get to the first aisle, and I was mobbed. I mean, just mobbed with people going, what is that? Wow. And I went, okay, here's where I'm wanted. <laughs> Found the niche, right? <laughs> this is the market. Yeah. And that's where I've sold over half a million of them. Wow. In, in that market alone. Wow. Because I can imagine that any, man, especially if you get, um, I, I, I mean, I know you've sold to like marathons, like the, like the whole marathon series and they, you know, they'll get it with their logo on it with their, you know, Home Depot will get it with their logo. Any company yep. can get it with their logo. And the beautiful part about that is it's something, it's not a pen. It's not a pad of paper. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's so different. See, that's exactly what the, the point was of the, the whole thing is that they want something unique that they haven't seen before, that they can put a logo on. And it's something that people wear all the time outdoors. Other people are going to see it. And that's the beauty of a promotional product is that it, it lasts for a long, long time. So so we're sitting here talking about your invention and getting into the marketplace. Now, you this ended up spawning like an international company for you. And I did read somewhere that like 90% of your business is actually done internationally. So walk us through a little bit about that history. Like how did you end up getting into all those different markets? Um, I think, you know, I've never actually done any advertising ever. Uh, I can't say ever. I did one, I paid $600 for a half page ad in a magazine and I got no response. Mm. That is the extent of what I have spent on advertising ever. All of it came from bloggers, <clears throat> for, from uh, PR, um, and just people and search engine optimization. People just found me. And sometimes it was the craziest blogs that would have this, and I still sell to this day from those blogs. Wow. Now, how did you, when we're talking about a business that's in other countries and you have a team that manages, you know, the movement of your product in other countries, what does that mean? Like, um, you know, do you have offices in other countries in order to sell this there? Is it all being done under promotional product type of an, in, of a, you know, niche or are people kind of buying this on one-offs? Like, what does that look like as an international company? Um, that's a good question. Most of it is, um, I, I sell through distributors only, and that is the easiest way to sell. So someone in Argentina, um, actually they manufacture it in Argentina, but uh, someone in Germany, say, they will buy 10, 20, 30,000 at a time, and they have their own reps who sell. Got it. So they just buy it straight from me from the factory, and I you know, provide them marketing and PR backup. Got it. Okay. It. Got it. Okay, so now, so you have, you know, you've done this invention, business is going, you're growing the business. Um, and then my question to you before we, you know, got on the call was, okay, I know you've had this invention, but like, where does the speaking thing come in? So, you know, you're a very impassioned speaker, um, a, a sought after speaker. So where does this whole like passion or this whole speaker business come into play? Well, it actually came into play when um, <laughs> the recession hit. And 
you know, everybody I talk to says, yes, I had to reinvent myself. And, you know, because things changed dramatically. And, I mean, it was a big wake-up call. It was a big wake-up call that businesses and entrepreneurs and even employees and employers, I mean, everyone has to start looking to the future and how they can, you know, what's going to affect their business. And I really wasn't prepared for it because business was booming. It was just so good. I put all my eggs in one basket. And then when that happened, um, business completely just dried up. And it's not just here. It, It happened all over the world. You know, most of my distributors at the time were in Europe, and they really got hit hard. So a lot of them actually went out of business. And And so I would imagine this is, you know, kind of that that space in the industry where, like, you have corporations, like you said, ordering, you know, multiple dozens of thousands of your your product, and then all of a sudden they're not doing it because that's just not an expense that they can afford anymore. So maybe they're not even having their annual conference, so they don't need all of this stuff anymore, right? Is that kind of where you were in that space? And and you would think, well, corporations have lots of money, but still, it it affected everyone, and, and everyone sort of took a step back and went, okay... What what are, where what direction are we going in? And so it, they were not buying you know things like they used to like seventy two thousand sets of Swiggies at a time, which is the Dublin Marathon. So they weren't buying that kind of volume anymore. And um, well, what was the question? Oh yeah. Um, so I mean, I just had to literally <clears throat> do something else to pay the bills. So how did and, you decide on speaking? Um, a friend mentioned it to me and said, you know, you've been a a TV host and you've done theater, so I'm sure you could do it and you have tons of material. And I had been writing a book, so that forced me to finish the book and that's really how it started. So, you know, I'm a big believer that like a business is a business. And so, you know, and you're very clear on that core competency. So you were, you had been in this um, you know, product business and dealing with that. And now you completely move to this um, really a service uh, based business of speaking. Right. That's a that's a completely different business model. So what were what were some of the lessons that you learned maybe that first, I don't know, couple months to a year about how to get out there and how to actually get paid to be a speaker and, and you know, have a great successful business of it? Uh, good question. I think that I did things backwards. I started with a product. I started doing the hardest possible thing you could ever do, which is invent a new product that never existed before and manufacture it. And, you know, that's that's really the hardest business, business model. And then convince people that they need it, right? And then convince, right. exactly. Right. Because people are stuck in, in their thinking. They really are. And it's like, well, I have a water bottle that I hold in my hand. Why do I need to put it on my wrist? <laughs> so you're right. It, it, you have to convince people. And but, so if I was to start all over again from scratch, I would have started with a service business first because it's much, much, much cheaper to start. Mm. You know, mine costs a lot of money. Right. So, um, so how did you build your speaking career? Um, because... 
there's sort of two types of speakers that at least I've come across, like the ones who are sort of like kind of hem and hawing and kind of struggling. They're not getting, if they are getting paid for speaking gigs, you know, it's not a lot. And then you have like almost on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have very well-paid speakers and people who have figured out this business system of being a speaker. So, you know, what, what did that look like for you? What has that looked like for you in your evolution as a speaker? You are very intuitive. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've spoken to a lot of speakers. I've come across a lot of speakers. So, you know, there's uh, – we had um, Jolene Moody, who is a, a, a guest on my show, and she's amazing, spoke about the fact that for her first two, three years, she earned like thirteen grand a year. And then all of a sudden – I mean, her big thing is that she actually hired a coach to help her out, but – all of a sudden, she, you know, was earning a hundred thousand, and there was a huge. I mean, there's a very distinct difference between what those two types of speakers do as and how they approach their business. So, you know, I, I'm sure that you've evolved along these years. But what have been some of those major points of, you know, kind of giving us a little insight to how you have worked your speaking business? Um, I actually started out three years ago. And I'd never, you know, except for, you know, doing plays and that kind of thing, I'd never spoken as a speaker ever. And started out, I just said, okay, I'm starting from the ground floor. I'm going to go to Toastmasters and learn how to do it. And I quickly realized, okay, this is, I'm going to make a living at this. And I just set out and did every single thing I possibly could from, you know, getting the website together to making phone calls, to networking, to, you know, doing everything that I could. I called every person that I knew who possibly would know anyone who would need a speaker. And and actually, the very first speaking job I did, I got paid $2,500 for a half hour, but that's because I got my own sponsors. That, talk about that, because that's a really... Um, what was that conversation like to actually close that $2,500 deal? And then how did the sponsor format come at, come in? Uh, well, what I did was I put on a job fair and then I spoke at the job fair myself. So I created my own job, my own speaking job for the very first one. I love that. What a great idea. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and I was, I videotaped it and you can see me walking back and forth with the, note cards, which I would never <laughs> dream of doing now, but I was like, oh my God, you know, I have people there, and the funny thing was that um, all of the job seekers showed up, and everything was ready, I'm, you know, grabbing the microphone, and my assistant said, um, there are no uh, HR people here. <laughs> Oh no! Well, yeah, and the so, other side of that that we the other side of that coin that we need. <laughs> and so I, yeah, yeah, exactly. So I had to just fake it and think, okay, well, I got to just keep going wow. <laughs> as if they're going to show up. <laughs> wow! And that was my first speaking job. How has it progressed since then? Like, where um, where are you finding are the most successful clients that you're having? Like, how are you actually attracting those clients to you? What are you doing to get in front of those clients? Um, well, the past two weeks, I spoke for, I was the keynote for Northrop Grumman and also the Procter & Gamble uh, International Engineering Summit. Which is huge. I mean, that's, that's a very yeah. big deal. Yes. And those kind of jobs are nothing like you know, me with the, the note cards. Um, it, it's a much different ball game, you know, and you, you can't just start out doing those kind of 
jobs, you know, and you don't want to. You want you want to practice with the free jobs and the, you know, do the Chamber of Commerce or the Rotary Club or whatever and and learn what you're doing before you get to that point. I love that's a really really good point. Um so what, you know, was it um what was the final catalyst that actually like sold these clients to actually hiring you? Like, were there, was it somebody that you ended up building a relationship with on the inside or did you have someone calling on your behalf? How, how were those, you know, how are, are some of these corporate gigs actually secured? Well, they found me on speaker sponsor, which is another business I started um, because I found that so many, either the meeting planners didn't have the budgets anymore or you know, they weren't paying speakers, whatever the case was, um, so many speakers weren't able to get paid because there were no, there was no money in the budget. And I saw an opportunity, this is what entrepreneurs do, they see opportunities, and I said, um, you know, I used to be a sponsorship director for a TV show. I was the one who went out and got small business sponsorship. And I put together a TV pilot with that. So, I realized there was an opportunity that I could teach other speakers how to do what I was doing. Hmm. And that's how I got speaker sponsor up and running. And that's where the meeting planners actually found me on my own site. So just to give a little bit of a background, speakersponsors.com is, um, it's really a marketplace. I mean, it's really a place, uh, I almost want to compare it to match.com. I mean, it is a place where, you know, speakers who want to get speaking gigs and are very qualified get to get matched up with sponsors who are looking for really great speakers um, to fulfill their needs. And it sounded like you guys actually um, kind of have reps who tried to be the matchmakers on a lot of those things. Is that right? Um, not reps, but I mean, it's just, it's a central, you're right, it's a central marketplace where the speakers and the sponsors can meet. And um, when I was doing it myself, I had a hard time, you know, when I was making the phone calls to the small businesses, explaining what I had to offer. And I put together my own profile page and I said, wait a minute, if I could do it for myself, then other speakers could do it. And I could help them, you know, figure out how to, how to put this whole thing together. And when I would do a conference, a lot of times I was the only breakout speaker that got paid oh, because wow. I had my own sponsors. So are these, when you're saying sponsor, is this always the company that's actually hiring you? Or is this sometimes, I don't know, like maybe it's not Home Depot's corporate convention. It, it You know, that's the event, but it's not Home Depot sponsoring you. It's... Uh, maybe Makita, who wants to be seen in front of Home Depot. Is that kind of what it is? Yeah, it's more like, um, for example, one of the members was doing a um, doing a keynote for a high school. So it's six or 700 high school students, but they weren't paying him. They were paying his expenses, and that was it. So he wanted to get paid. And so I thought, okay, how can we, what kind of sponsor can we get to sponsor you who wants to get in front of six or 700 high school students. That's what you always have to think. And um, I called a tutoring company, and she said, well, that's great, but kids don't have any money. <laughs> and I went, oh, that's true. I said, well, maybe they could take the information home to the parents. And she said, no, they won't do it. <laughs> she said, 
<laughs> it gets lost or whatever. She said, but if you can find a way to get me in front of the parents, then I will do it. And that's exactly what we did. We figured out a way with the school so that her business could get in front of the kids' parents. So the speaker got paid. The um, tutoring company got in front of, you know, all of these parents, probably even more than the 700. And um, the audience was happy. And, you know, everyone was happy. It's a huge win, win, win. Um, I'm, I want to ask you some questions about that business model because, you know, this is a marketplace, you pay to play, meaning, you know, um, speakers are coming on there and I think it's like $9 a month for them to really be part of this whole marketplace. Sponsors get to get go on there and just see, you know, uh, get an idea of what's there. Um, how many years have you had this? How long have you had it? Um, it's only been about a year. Gotcha. So what type, like what's there? Like how many speakers are there? How many sponsors are there? And what is your retention for, um, for that recurring revenue? Uh, good question. You know, you have people who go on and they'll stay for two weeks and go, wait a minute, I didn't get a sponsor. And then they'll drop it. And sponsorship is is a relationship business. I mean, it it is not something that happens overnight. And and a small business, you deal with small businesses, you know, they they guard their money closely, and because they have to, right? You know, and but the thing is, sponsorship absolutely is really valuable to a small business, but they kind of have to trust. I'm, I'm teaching both sides, really. Right. Right. On how to really interact with each other. So, how many how yeah. many how many people do you have who are a part of the marketplace now? Um, I think there are about fifty or sixty speakers, and the sponsors come and go. Sometimes a sponsor will come on there, and you know we'll talk, and they'll say, "Well, I'm looking for this," and they go on there, and they don't find what they're looking for. So sometimes I have the speaker that's right for them, and sometimes I don't. Um, and the more, the bigger the company grows, the more likelihood will be that they will find what they're looking for. Um, and some of it, I think I'm going to have to, you know, go into geographic location because a lot of it is small bo- uh, businesses and mom and pops. And, you know, it, it just really depends. I have one sponsor who has um, stores in 20 states. Oh, wow. Got so, it. That's really interesting. I mean, and that, I mean, it sounds like it's a really there, there's so there's a lot of potential there to really grow it up to really be such a and continue to be like a really great resource because I can imagine just like um, uh, there's so many of them. I mean, just like Urban Spoon or you know Yelp or anything like that, where it's like you want kind of a, a gathering point of everything that you want, yeah. and now you just want to sift through to see what's there to see what's best fit for you, right? So um, one of the things that I want to mention is that, so you're doing, you know, the website, the marketplace, uh, you know, you're kind of managing that, you're doing your own speaking business, and then you are also still, you know, managing Swiggies and, you know, getting that out to the world. Um, And you have a book that is out now. You've written a book um, called The Money Garden, How to Plant the Seeds for a Lifetime of Income. You know, how in the world are you making time for all of this? That I would imagine that you have to be very strategic with your time, but what, like, how are you actually making this all happen? Um, I don't sleep a lot. <laughs> uh, 
I really do work. I'm up at four in the morning, and um, not as perky as you at four in the morning. But <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, then you know, hitting the ground running by six a.m. and making phone calls. And I, I'm a big, huge cold caller. I know most people hate it. But the thing is, people are not going to hang up on you. If you're nice and you have something they want, they're not going to hang up on you. And just like the tutoring company, I called out of the blue, you know, total cold call, and I told her what I was doing. She goes, what? Okay, yeah, let me think about it. And then we hung up, and then she called me back. She goes, that's a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, if, if you have something valuable for people, they're going to listen to you. Julie, what what has been one of the toughest moments that you've had over all of these years? I'm, I know that there's been a lot of them. We all can really identify with the fact that there are a lot of up and downs. But, you know, what's one moment that you have that sticks out in your mind as being really dark? And then how did you get through it? <laughs> wow. Well, I, I know one in particular. Um, and it's the kind of thing that I think a lot of inventors and a lot of creative people and probably a lot of entrepreneurs go through is you get to a point that you're so burnt out and you just go, okay, somebody save me. Right. <laughs> Come right. in and help me, save me, run my business, you know, do something. And so I think at that really weak moment, uh, a friend of mine said, I know this guy, he's a marketing guru. If you ever hear guru, if you ever hear, hear that term, I think you should run. <laughs> and I said, okay. You know, I found out that he had worked with all kinds of celebrities, and I thought, well, he must know what he's doing. <laughs> and I obviously don't, because um, things were just kind of at a point where it was just, you know, this was a few years ago. You know, like I said, the economy was bad, I, you know, things were rough. And so I signed a contract with this guy. I believe it was like 26 pages. Wow. And I had no idea what I was signing. And the next day, it was like Jekyll and Hyde. All of a sudden, he turned into a monster. And I said, oh my God, what did I do? What did I do? And he started demanding that I send him inventory and doing all these things. And I said, whoa, uh -uh. uh-uh, I can't do that. And he said, you signed a contract and, you know, you are bound to it and all kinds of stuff. And it just turned into the worst nightmare ever. And I ended up having to hire an attorney. And it it turned out that the guy was, he was just evil. He had gone literally cross-country bilking people out of their life savings. Oh, no. And so I didn't have that problem, but it did derail my business for several months. Wow. That's so crazy. So to this day, even with um, big corporations, I sign a one-page contract. Nice and easy. You know exactly what it says, right? I don't care who it is. P&G is the biggest company in the world. You sign a simple contract. I want to uh, transition into the last part of our interview, which is our favorite five. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. Here are the questions. What is your favorite book? Wow. Um, 
The favorite book, I'm looking over at my bookshelf because I know it is one on sales and it's Bill Good is the name of the author and I cannot think of the name of the book right now, but it's an old, old book on selling, but it's still very relevant today. Nice. All right. Well, and I will have the link. You'll figure it out. I'll go and find this. Yeah, I'll go and find this and I'll put it on the show notes. Um, uh, What about your favorite tool? Like your favorite business tool, something that makes your business life easier? Well, I don't know if it's really a tool. Is Alexa a tool, sort of? As Alexa. in like the Alexa ratings? Yeah. Uh, I, I, does that make your life easier? Well, I don't know if it makes it easier, but it, it challenges me. To, uh, you know, I sort of challenge myself to keep getting my Alexa ranking down. Explain, um, explain that, what that is if, uh, if we don't know. Like, um, it's basically a search engine tool that, um, you know, if you have a low Alexa ranking, the lower your ranking is, the better, um, as far as people finding you on the internet, um, as far as, you know, if you ever want to sell ads. You're like more your, legitimized basically, right? And yeah. I mean, cause if you want to sell advertising and you say, oh, my Alexa ranking is 10 million then people go, well, that's not very good. <laughs> you know, right. I, don't, I don't want to be on your site because nobody's going to your website. Um, so I guess that's kind of a tool. All right, we'll take Google, it. Uh, Google is, you know, any kind of Google tool that they, it, they have all kinds of free tools. Um, all right, how about your uh, favorite place to travel to? Anywhere that has hiking and um, clean air, like New Zealand, is my very favorite place. If you have not been there, it should be on everyone's bucket list. It's awesome. I've already crossed it off, and nice. I will go back over and over again. Awesome. How about the um, your favorite speaking gig that you've had? That would be the last one. And that really? That fast? Gamble. Procter & Gamble. All right. Because I think it, it made them, I feel like it made an impact. Um, I learned so much from the engineers who were there. And it was uplifting. It was motivational. It was great content. It was just, it was a well put together event in general. Very cool. And the last question, Julie, how, what is your favorite way to de-stress? That would be what I just did over the weekend, um, which was going to the middle of nowhere um, in the middle of a, you know, a national forest with no cell phone, no internet, no nothing. Uh, I just unplug. Completely unplug. I love it. Very nice. Well, Julie, thank you so much for taking some time to be here with me today. I really appreciate it. You are very welcome, and you're very good at what you do. I can tell that you, um, you do your homework. <laughs> well, I've, I've had the privilege of having a lot of, like, amazing women on this show. And, um, you know, like, there's – you just learn so much. That's why I love this platform. You just learn so much from everyone's stories. It's so powerful. Yes, learn from our mistakes. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and our successes, too. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Julie. Thank you. I love that Julie really brought the point home 
that many of our guests have have really brought home, which is that this is all a process, you know. Um, and she stated it perfectly when she mentioned, like, okay, you can't immediately go and have Procter and Gamble as a client. Um, you really should be practicing. On all the free groups, you should be practicing your craft and honing your craft in a way that gets you ready for those larger clients and for those larger opportunities. And I just really love that because you are going to learn and you're going to evolve into a person who is ready for those and attracting those. So thank you for that reminder, Julie. Thank you so much for being here. I will see you on the next episode. 